Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Washington Redskins and the AFC champion Miami Dolphins. It was held on January 14, 1973 at Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum in the heart of USC country, the final Super Bowl to be held at this historic site. As always, we have a pop quiz and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, what event that took place at least one time in all six previous Super Bowls did not take place in this game? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. These two teams couldn't have possibly been more different. Redskins head coach George Allen constructed a roster made up of wily old veterans, and this his team was called the Over the Hill Gang in response. The Redskins got off to a 11-1 start in 1972, losing just their third game of the season and by only one point while winning all the others. After their nine-game winning streak came to an end, They lost their final two games of the season, but still won the NFC East. The Redskins were led by quarterback Billy Kilmer, who took over for Sonny Jurgensen. Kilmer threw for 1,648 yards and 19 touchdowns, while also tossing 11 interceptions. His main receiver was Charlie Taylor who caught 49 passes for 673 yards and 7 scores. Running back Larry Brown led the team in rushing with 1,216 yards and 12 total touchdowns. In the NFC playoffs, Washington walked right over their opposition, 
First came Green Bay, a team that had finally recovered from losing Vince Lombardi. The Packers have won the NFC Central title, but Washington dispatched them easily, beating them 16-3. Next came Dallas, who had made a miracle comeback in San Francisco to advance to the NFC Championship game. But again, it was no contest. The Redskins beat Dallas 26-3 to move on to Super Bowl VII. As for the Miami Dolphins, they were very young by in comparison to the Redskins. And, of course, this was the most famous single-season team outside of maybe the 1985 Bears. Look up and down their slate of games, and all you see is Ws. That's right. The Dolphins won all 14 regular season games, the first perfect team in a regular season since the 30s, 1930s, the Bears. But no team had ever made it through the playoffs unscathed. Now, the Dolphins, they beat Cleveland 20-14 in the divisional round to advance to the AFC Championship game at Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh. That's right. As we talked about last week, home field advantage was determined on a rotating basis. So even though the Dolphins were undefeated, they had to go on the road for a playoff game. Nevertheless, they defeated the Immaculate Reception Steelers 21-17 to clinch their spot in Super Bowl VII. The Dolphins had a three-headed monster in their backfield. Fullback Larry Sanka bruised his way to 1,117 yards. Mercury Morris ran for exactly 1,000 yards on the nose, scoring 12 touchdowns. And Jim Kick added another 521 yards. Because of all their running, the Dolphins didn't need to pass the ball much. But when they did, they were in the very capable hands of both Bob Greasy and Earl Morrill, because Earl Morrill had to take over for Bob Greasy when he got hurt. But by the time of the Super Bowl, Greasy was healthy again, and he was ready to lead the Dolphins into Super Bowl VII. The Dolphins won the toss and chose to receive. They couldn't move the ball, though, very much on their first possession, so they punted it away, um, and they got forced to make have the punt because uh, Redskins linebacker Jack Pardee, future coach of the Houston Oilers, made a good tackle on Larry Sanka. Punter Larry Seiple for Miami got away a 50-yard punt, and the Skins started at their own 25. Kilmer threw a flare pass out to Larry Brown, and he got a first down. But that was all the Redskins can do, and they punted it right back. And the next two possessions, more of the same. Redskins defensive end Berlin Biggs sacked Greasy, and that helped force a punt. But the Redskins didn't do anything themselves, so they kicked it right back. Finally, Miami got things going on the next drive when Kick ran for a first down to the 47. 
Greasy then threw a pass, which was kind of rare, and he hit receiver Paul Warfield for a first down at the Washington 33. Shotgun kick both ran, and they got the ball inside the 30-yard line. And then Greasy fired another pass, this one to Howard Swilly, who caught it on the right side of the field, and he went in for a 28-yard touchdown. The Dolphins had a 7-0 lead after one quarter. Early in the second quarter, Kilmer had a pass intercepted by defensive back Jake Scott. Scott returned it all the way to the Washington 48, but then his offense failed to move the ball at all. But it turned out Miami would uh, force a punt themselves, and they get the ball back at their own 32. Sanka run for, for, ran for first down and kick, took a pitch and got inside Washington territory. And then Greasy went play and gunned it downfield, and it was complete to Warfield for a long touchdown. But hold the phone. The Dolphins got called for illegal motion, and the play was wiped out. They ended up eventually punting on that drive. So the Redskins got the ball now, and they drove it down to about midfield by the time they got to the two-minute warning. On the very next play, though, Kilmer threw an interception to linebacker Nick Bunaconti. He returned, I, I can't pronounce that, I'm sorry. <laughs> he returned the pick to the Washington 27-yard line. And then the Dolphins ran it a couple of times before Greasy fired to tight end Jim Mannitz for a first down all the way down to the two-yard line. And then kicked carried the ball on the next two plays, and he ended up scoring from one yard out, and the Dolphins took a 14-0 lead into halftime. To start out the second half, the Skins put together a great drive. Kilmer threw over in the middle to tight end Jerry Smith, and he got a first down at the 41-yard line. Kilmer then found, found uh, Charlie Taylor for another first down at the Miami 43-yard line. Uh, Kilmer then went to receiver Roy Jefferson, and he caught it for another first down. They got to the 25. And, and then running back Charlie Haraway got yet another first down, so the Redskins were in great field position. But then Kilmer got sacked by defensive tackle Manny Fernandez, and they ended up having to settle for a 32-yard field goal attempt, but kicker Kurt Knight, Missed it wide to the right. The teams then exchanged punts. And Miami got the ball back a second time. And they were at their own 34-yard line. And Dolphins head coach Don Sula put the ball in the most reliable person's hands. That would be Larry Sanka. And... The offensive line, they created a big hole, and Sanka just blasted right through it and kept going until he had a gain of just about 50 yards, maybe 49, but it was a huge gain. Then Kick ran it down to the five-yard line made it first and goal. 
However, Greasy threw a terrible interception to defensive at, defensive back Brig Owens, and he he caught the pass and got a touchback in the end zone, and that was the end of the third quarter. Redskins still had a chance to get back into it in the fourth quarter as they marched down on a 13-play drive down the field. They were taking up a lot of time, though, as they were doing this. and But, but Kilmer did get them down there into good field position. And um, he scrambled down for a first down and... And then Brown and Haraway each ran for first downs. So they got all the way down to the inside the 10-yard line. And uh, Kilmer threw a pass that hit the goal post. That was incomplete. So it was now third and goal. And Kilmer tried forcing one. And this was a big mistake because Scott, Jake Scott, zoomed in and picked it off. He returned it all the way to the Washington 48 out of his own end zone to the Washington 48, and it looked like Washington was sunk. But then that's when the most famous play of this game occurred. Dolphins kicker Gary Premian tried a 42-yard field goal, which would ice the game and give Miami a 17-0 win in a 17-0 season. But his kick was blocked, and then he picked up the ball and tried to throw a pass. NBC color commentator Al DeRogatis, uh, I'm sorry, I cannot pronounce his name. Um, he he was laughing whenever Gerald tries picking up the ball and trying to throw it because he fumbled it right into the hands of Mike Bass of the Redskins and he returned it 49 yards for a touchdown. So now the Redskins actually had a chance. There's 2.07 left on the clock. But instead of going for an onside kick, George Allen, their uh, Redskins coach, um, he decided he was going to kick it deep. And he hoped that his defense could make a stop. So after the two-minute warning, Greasy found Paul Warfield for a first down, which may have sealed the game had Warfield not stepped out of bounds. Now the Redskins could use all three timeouts to get the ball back, which they did. They couldn't block the punt, though, but they got the ball back at their own 30 with just over a minute to go. But there wouldn't even be a Hail Mary try because Kilmer threw two incomplete passes and then completed a pass for negative yardage, and then he was sacked on fourth down, and that was it. The Dolphins have won it. 14 to 7, and they were the first undefeated, untied, perfect team in NFL history. Jake Scott won MVP honors for his two interceptions and long returns, and that makes total sense. However, if I were to give an MVP award, I give it to Sanka, Larry Sanka. He ran for 112 yards on just 15 carries. He pushed and pummeled through his way through the line all day long. In addition, his teammates Kick and Morris didn't do very much on the ground, totaling just 72 yards combined. So clearly, Sanka was the most valuable player on the Miami offense. 
who was the MVP of the losing team? Well, there was no one who played well on the skins. Kilmer threw three interceptions and had a putrid passer rating of 19.6. Brown rushed for only 72, only 72 yards on his 22 carries and never had a run longer than 11 yards. Jefferson led the receivers with a paltry 50 yards. So I'll give the award to Brig Owens, the defensive back. He had an interception in the end zone that kept the Redskins in it. He was a big part of the Redskins' success in 1972. The least valuable player. Who was it? This time I'm giving it to a player on the winning team. Your premium, Daryl Yepremium, not only had his only field goal attempt blocked, but then he made one of the stupidest decisions in Super Bowl history, one that put him on Football Follies videos forever. He nearly cost his team the game while not kicking a successful field goal. And that is the answer to today's pop quiz. This was the first Super Bowl without a successful field goal. And it was also the lowest scoring Super Bowl ever until Super Bowl 53 between the Patriots and the Rams. That one had only 16 points as opposed to 21 here. And the Patriots uh, also broke the Dolphins' record in this game for the least points scored by a winning team with 13. But this was the first Super Bowl where neither team made a field goal. Who was the best player in this game you don't remember? How about Larry Seipel, Miami's punter? He kicked it seven times for over 300 yards, averaging 43 yards per kick. That's pretty impressive. What was the play of the game? Well, it, it wasn't Garrow's gaff, because even though that's the most memorable, um, it, it ended up not deciding the game. Instead, I have to give that to Jake Scott's interception in the end zone and long return in the fourth quarter. That put the game on ice, or or would have put it on ice, if not for Yepremian screwing up. And the biggest play that no one remembers, well, that would be Owens' pick in the end zone to prevent Miami from going up 21-0. Owens made that interception, and if the Dolphins would have scored there, not even your premium could have thrown away the win. That, that may not have turned the outcome of the game, Owens making that pick, but it was certainly an important moment that has been forgotten. Finally, I'm giving you some homework. These are books you should read about the 1972 season, and boy, I've got a lot of them this week. We've got Perfection, the inside story of the 1972 Miami Dolphins' perfect season, written by Bob Greasy and Dave Hyde. It tells the story of the 72 Dolphins from Greasy's perspective. If you want a player's perspective on the losing team, though, you can go with Over the Hill to the Super Bowl, written by Brig Owens. This one reads like a diary. And it's very entertaining. Both of those books, a uh, first-person view of the season from the Dolphins, from the Redskins. Very good books. There's also Undefeated, 
Inside the Miami Dolphins' Perfect Season by Mike Freeman. This gives more of a sports writer's take on the 1972 season, but it is very thorough, like Greasy and Hyde's book. Finally, there's another book, their final book to recommend was But We Were 17 and 0 by Francis J. Lodato and Raymond M. Lodato. It is a collection of interviews with a good portion of the members of the 72 Dolphins. I think there's there's about 25 of them or so interviews with them. So you have lots of work for this week. And, um, yeah, a very interesting Super Bowl with Super Bowl Seven, Low scoring, but ended up being a pretty interesting game in the end. So in two weeks, we'll find out if the Dolphins can repeat as champion in Super Bowl VIII, or can the Purple People Eaters of Minnesota stop them, the Vikings? Can they bring the Lombardi Trophy back to the NFC? That's two Tuesdays from now, but until then, so long. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.